The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Love God Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing a nightmare on Elm Street. A Nightmare on Elm Street is a 1984 American supernatural slasher film written and directed by Wes Craven and produced by Robert Shea. It is the first installment in the A A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and stars Heather Langenkamp, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Robert England as Freddy Krueger, and Johnny Depp in his film debut. Craven filmed A Nightmare on Elm Street on an estimated budget of $1.1 million, which probably today would be maybe like four to five million, um, give or take inflation. The film was released on November 9th, 1984 and grossed $57 million worldwide. So it was a fucking hit. A Nightmare on Elm Street was met with rave critical reviews and is considered to be one of the greatest horror films ever made, spawning a franchise consisting of six sequels, a television series, a crossover with Freddy, the th- uh, sorry, with, sorry, with Friday the 13th, uh, various other merchandise, and a remake of the same name. Aside from stunts, polyester, uh, and Alone in the Dark, it was one of the first films produced by New Line Cinema, who by that point mostly uh, distributed films, leading the company to be a successful film studio up till 2008. It was even named The House That Freddie Built. The film is credited with using many of the tropes found in low-budget horror films of the 1970s and 1980s that originated with John Carpenter's Halloween 1978. Um, The film includes a morality play where sexually promiscuous teenagers are killed. Critics and film historians state that the film's premise is the struggle to define the distinction between dreams and reality manifested by the lives and dreams of the teens in the films. Later, critics praised the film's ability to transgress the boundaries between imaginary and real, toying with the audience's perceptions. The film was followed by A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. In 2021, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry of the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So you know who directed it, you know who's starring it, you know who produced it. Music is by Charles Bernstein. Um, Very memorable uh, score that he he created here. but uh, let me see if there's anything else that anybody else would recognize off the top of their head. White Lightning, I haven't seen that, but I've heard of it. Um, 
Let me see. Wes Davis. Da, 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 that is about all. Like Independence Day, he created. Did the uh, he had uh, his hands on Cujo. Same guy that made the music for. That's about all I can find on the uh, on the composing standpoint, and I'm not too familiar with anything else that he's done in the television realm. Um, a lot of television movies this guy has worked on um, before, though. So, anyways, we are going to continue. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So let me just tell you the things I like about this movie uh, before kind of going into uh, the spoilers of what's going on. So recently, I don't know why this summer, I've just been really feeling watching um, horror films. I went back and watched. Um, it kind of started with watching The Ring. I watched the Insidious series. I, uh, uh, it kind of kicked off around the time that Malignant came out, and I was looking at all of the horror films, the previous horror films that uh, James Wan had created. I wanted to kind of go back and see some of his older filmography to see what really uh, intrigued him about um, creating something like Malignant. And Malignant is right up there with those campy horror uh, movies uh, of like the 1980s. It feels very kind of old school in the way that it's it's uh, created. So anyways, I was watching, uh, it started with Malignant, then I went and watched uh, the Insidious series, then I watched uh, The Ring 1, The Ring 2. Um, let me see what else we got. Uh, I've watched A Nightmare on Elm Street, one, two, three, four, five. And then I watched uh, uh, Wes Craven's A New Nightmare as well. And so I've seen like six of the Elm Street movies. I've gone and watched Friday the 13th from 1980. I've watched the first five movies and I'm in the middle of the sixth one right now. So with saying that um, my head is just full of all this like uh, horror slasher type um, filmography. So, you know, bear with me as I'm trying to regurgitate this movie. I'm trying to remember all of those at the same time. Um, but anyways, we've uh, already discussed the ring series franchise and um so I wanted to kind of cover one of my other favorite uh, horror films that I've watched, which happens to be Nightmare on Elm Street, um, 1984. Now, 1984 is very important because that means this movie came after um, those movies such as the John Carpenter's uh, Halloween movie. I think Halloween 2 had even come out by this point. Uh, and so I've seen Halloween 1978 and uh obviously freddy uh sorry friday the 13th came out in uh 1980 and so those two movies came out before a nightmare on elm street so they had some building blocks to kind of build off of and see what people were liking what people were disliking and 
my whole thing was when did horror really become uh, about the campy tropey kills? I think that this movie specifically is kind of turning the dial of horror in a way that puts light on it that shows that we don't really have to be scared of the slasher. Um, by this point, I think we had actually had at least three of the Friday the 13th movies had been released by the time A Nightmare on Elm Street 1 had come out. So people kind of had an idea about um, the previous slasher tropes, storylines, killing teen, horny teenagers and stuff like that. That was really um, ingrained in the cultural zeitgeist of uh, American slashers. And so I think that a Nightmare on Elm Street is important uh, piece of filmography, mostly because it does change the dial of the um, how we look at these slashers. I don't think that you're really looking at um, Friday the 13th, nor you're not looking at Halloween as like the campy, um, somewhat comedic slasher at all. As a matter of fact, I don't think any slasher films that right off the top of my head really change until they get into A Nightmare on Elm Street. And you have someone as uh, interesting and funny and ironically charismatic as Freddy Krueger. And despite his over-the-top ridiculousness nature of how he kills and gaslights teenagers and, you know, has them uh, cry and wolf like almost immediately every time. It's like, um, and the parents not believing them. Uh, this is the movie that really turns the dial there. And so like reasons that I really like this first one is obviously the originality of the movie. I think the practical effects, um, the, the, the acting is kind of like, uh, it's some, some of it's really good. Some of it's not as great. And ironically, someone like Johnny Depp being in this, you would think that he would be one of the, the biggest, uh, on-screen presence, uh, actors that were shown on the film but actually he's way more toned down in this film um what i had heard was Wes craven's daughter apparently saw johnny depp's face and he was in a band or something like that and they they basically left it up to uh Wes Craven's daughter and said you know which one do you like and apparently Wes craven's daughter was like johnny's hot let's get him in there and so that's what they did. They got um, uh, the good looking uh, Johnny Depp at the time. And so basically, uh, I think it was Wes Craven's daughter essentially made Johnny Depp uh, a, a instant star right after this, because um, uh, the way that the way that um, I won't give away what happens to Johnny Depp, but it is a very memorable scene that he is in um, in this movie. And so, like I said, um, the casting's really good. The acting is good, but not great, but it works for the film. The direction of this feels very um, purposeful. After going back and watching something like, um, uh, what is it called? Friday the 13th. The first two Friday the 13th movies do not feel uh, full as a story and sometimes feel like a collection of kills or a collection of uh, short scenes that come together to make the film. And it doesn't really feel like it is a cohesive message. And so 
this movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street, feels like it pushes the button of how ridiculous you can get in a, a tropey, campy horror film, um, but without going too far over the edge. Now, one thing I got to say about pretty much all of these movies I've watched, um, despite watching a ton of them, the um, the runtime is all almost about an hour and 30 minutes, maybe almost an hour and 20 minutes and then credits on after. So they are extremely concise, extremely short. It's like maybe 30 minutes of setup. And then it's just like you're here for the kills after that. And now it, it kind of sounds if you're not into horror films like um, I happen to be just the summer. I'm not like I'm not like super into the lore and everything. I'm just kind of like. I'm, I'm picking and choosing from my buffet of uh, horror films. You know, you got your Halloweens, you got your Jasons, you got your Freddies. I'll have one of these, one of those, one of these, one of those, one of these, one of those, and so on and so forth. But um, the thing is, you kind of come to a realization once you watch a bunch of these is that you, you do become desensitized. And what's the most interesting thing about it is uh, the kills are ironically some of the most interesting parts of these films. Now, the kills, you know, getting stabbed with a machete or a knife can only be so interesting so many times in so many ways. And that's kind of where the Friday the 13th um, movies fall flat. Now, that's where we bring in Freddy, who Freddy is has the ability to manipulate the world that uh that we're in in these movies and so with saying that you know crazy shit might be happening in the background you're dreaming and you know you might have an extra long arm um he the uh, uh the radio might start talking like freddie his tongue might come out of a telephone you know there's so many memorable ways that uh freddie um is just fucking with these kids and it, it, the, the weird and kind of funny thing is he doesn't necessarily have to work that hard to get them. Um, I, because his, uh, his lore is so obscure, he can literally kill a person just them once they fall asleep. Um, just right there. It, it's really just like, depends on how important the, the character is in the story for how fast they're going to die. And so, like I said, what makes and elevates a nightmare on Elm Street from the regular tropey horror films of uh, like maybe the Friday the 13th, the first couple ones. Uh, I don't know if they're for uh, Elm Street is going to be superior to the Halloween franchise. I, I might go and do the Halloween franchise after watching this. I, my whole thing was to watch all of the Elm Street movies to Freddy versus Jason and then watch all of the Jason movies to Freddy versus Jason and then watch Freddy versus Jason from there and then see how they kind of line up. My whole thing is like, if it's going to be Freddy versus Jason and essentially the majority of characters in both of those franchises have character, the majority of them die. I'm thinking everyone's going to die. So I'm very interested to see what they end up doing with Jason versus Freddy versus Jason. So um, yes, this is full of the this this movie is full of tropes, horror tropes that you've seen in every other slasher film. But the thing is, they they elevate it with the practical um, uh, stop motion effects that I think pretty much work. I mean, this is 
the one of the pinnacles of using uh, the before computers were used for you know CGI blood or CGI um, uh, effects that you can obviously do a lot of these things that they show in the film they can do um, on the computer now no problem but they don't look as good the texture on the film and the texture of what they're doing you can see um, the the redness of the blood I know it doesn't exactly always look like blood in this but sometimes it's a uh, you know, a little bit more like cool lady, but still I, I like to see how the texture is on it. Um, and I feel like you can feel the film in this. And so, yeah, with saying this, I think it looks great. I think the poster is one of my favorite posters I've seen for the, um, the, the slasher films. I, I think it's up. I, Halloween has a pretty good one too, but I, I want like the uh, Heather Langenkamp being haunted by, um, Freddie, uh, poster. It looks so this like bizarre and interesting and like, what the fuck's going on kind of thing. I, I just really like it. Um, so yeah. And the cinematography is by Jacques Haken. Um, he's the Elm street cinematographer for one and two. And I'm not going to talk too much about two, but, um, I do like two, two has like a five, five point something on uh, like five stars out of 10 on IMDb, which is really low. But I think if you go back and check it out, it's still a lot of fun. It's, it's ridiculous and stupid in the ways that I want this series to be. Um, so, and when I say stupid, you know, like Freddie's just like fucking with people just a, kind of in a ridiculous manner. Um, and the kills in a nightmare on Elm street are so much more interesting and well thought out um then i would say the the friday the 13th films are up until maybe the third film of the friday the 13th I, i'm kind of talking about both in the same realm but um just saying it they a nightmare on elm street clearly has watched these other films and they're like okay stabbing somebody is only so interesting for so long let's get crazy with it so sitting at an hour in a half budget of 1.1 million it brought back 57 million in the box office which i want to say in 1984 basically multiply that by three or four at this point i think and uh actually i want to figure out how much that was so 54 million dollars in 1984 would be 54. Yeah, you basically multiply it by three today um, would be $151 million, which is crazy. Um, so uh, that would be, <clears throat> if they made that today, that'd be like a $3 million budget movie. So that is insane, insane return. So obviously all of these movies, I think even Friday the 13th got uh about 50 million dollars back on a half a million dollar budget so friday the 13th um actually was a smaller budget in comparison to the nightmare on elm street but clearly you can see the practical effects what they went to on screen um so yeah i i give uh, uh let me see what i gave uh 
Elm Street real quick. I think I gave it an eight out of 10, but don't quote me on that. Give me two seconds. I give it a seven out of 10. Okay. Here's the uh, synopsis for it. Teenager Nancy Tom Thompson must undercover the dark truth concealed by her parents after she and her friends become targets of the spirit of a serial killer with a bladed glove in their dreams, in which if they die, it kills them in real life, um, which is fascinating uh, as a concept, um, but also horrifying as well. Let's hop into the plot for A Nightmare on Elm Street. And again, if you're watching this on YouTube, SoundCloud, or any other platform except Patreon at this moment, you're going to get a condensed version of the review and the podcast. If you'd like the full review and podcast, please go to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also find the links in the description. You can also support us any way possible in the description. Follow uh, thumbs up, subscribe, you know what to do to support. Um, LuckDogPodcast.com has the entire library accessible um, and the links for the full reviews on there as well um, for the Patreons. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening, watching Luckadog Podcast. We are going to start to get into a Nightmare on Elm Street plot. Like I said, this is going to be a condensed review for um, non-Patreon members, but you are still going to be able to watch this on YouTube and listen on SoundCloud and all the other popular podcast players. Um, so yeah, I gave this a 7 out of 10. Let's hop into the plot. Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. I also got to say, before the uh, before the review and stuff like that, I, I got to say that uh, Freddie has the best writing and the best catchphrases. Um, maybe not in this movie, but the one uh, Robert England comes in and says something in another movie, you know, welcome to prime time, bitch. Like, it's <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> fucking uh, cracks me up um one thing that i also gotta say um that this slasher likes fucking with the uh teenagers and the kids i guess unlike any other slasher the majority of the other the majority of the other uh slashers such as friday the 13th i'd say over half of them that are not the main characters don't even know they're being chased. They don't even know they're in danger. And I guess that kind of leaves a double-edged sword because you're like, oh shit, you know, we know that Jason is out in the woods or something like that. But I'd say over half of the movies in, J in the Friday the 13th um, movies is the victims, they see Jason and they die within like three seconds, maybe five seconds, e either because of the uh lack of being able to to show the kills which i can understand for budgetary reasons that you don't want to show somebody squirting fake blood for 10 minutes or something like that we don't want all that but even just showing them and understanding having these characters uh you know be afraid for more than five minutes is kind of rare in a lot of these which makes 
a nightmare on Elm street that much more different than the rest of the slasher films. Um, okay. So here's the plot. In 1981, teenager Tina Gray awakens from a terrifying nightmare wherein, wherein a disfigured man wearing a blade fixed glove attacks her in a boiler room. Her mother points out four mysterious slashers on her nightgown. The following morning, Tina's best friend, Nancy Thompson, and Nancy's boyfriend, Glenn Lance, console her, revealing that each also had a nightmare the previous night. Now, why is this happening now? I don't think it's explained why it's why this is all of a sudden happening now, but everyone's having the same uh, dream about the same guy. Now, I, I don't think that the movie does a great job expressing how everyone just happens to have the same dream. That's kind of weird. Um, but they also, and a lot of these Elm Street movies, they keep talking about how we have to stay awake. We have to stay awake. Don't fall asleep kind of thing. And I kind of feel like the actors never really feel like they're that tired, I would say, but um, they just say they are, um, give or take the actor. Not That's not the case for all of them, but I am noticing a lot of them um, when I was watching it. So the two stay at Tina's house when Tina's mother goes out of town, where she discovers that Nancy also had a nightmare about the disfigured man. Tina's boyfriend, Rod Lane, interrupts their sleepover when Tina falls asleep. And now Rod's kind of a douche dick bag, but um, <laughs> uh, we, we find out what happened to him. Um, when Tina, and by the way, we're going to talk about spoilers from here on out. When Tina falls asleep, she dreams of the disfigured man chasing her. And I tell you, the first time you see uh, Freddie, he's like in an alleyway. And he's like, when he's following Tina in the boiler room, like it is, it is, um, uh it's it's funny because he's like kind of like fucking with her in in this uh the dream world the whole time and then you see like well, the weird thing that he's doing is has like an extra long arm like you kind of remind me like cat in the hat or something like that when he's able to do all these weird different contortions and stuff like that it, it's it's just uh, ridiculous and funny and stupid all at the same time um and he's he's just like fucking with her kind of like chasing her for no like why does he even need to chase if he could just like teleport kind of thing? Um, so when Tina falls asleep, she dreams of the disfigured man chasing her. Rod is awoken by Tina's thrashing and sees her dragging, sorry, sees her dragged and fatally slashed by an unseen force, forcing him to flee as Nancy and Glenn awaken to find Tina bloodied and dead. It is brutal i th i think this is probably the most brutal kill out of the three movies we were talking about halloween and friday um at least for the first couple uh movies the uh the killing of tina gray is graphic as shit like you see like i know some of the uh, effects don't age that well but a lot of them do with regards of her flying up to the ceiling and being slashed open left and right and you just see rod there like like freaking out and wigging out and shit like that i was like this is this is nuts uh for how like how much he's like just fucking with them and stuff like that i was just like oh god so um yeah it, instantly the thing is you know freddie since the adults can't really see him 
people think that, you know, you know, Rod did the killing, you know, they, they don't, no one believes in the supernatural really at this point. So they kind of have to go along that same um, route as well. I guess Rod did this because he looks extremely guilty jumping out the window and, you know, doing everything else. So um, yeah, they, I think Rod was played by Sue Garcia. Unfortunately, the Latin representation, he's got to be all fucking weird and kind of rapey a little bit. And I was like, God dang it, why you got to do us like that? Um, but anyway, Rod is like freaking out, wigging out. He jumps out the window like I, I do the same thing. Couldn't get out the damn door. Um, but he looks like he he fucking dips. The next day, um, Nancy's policeman father, um, Don Thompson, played by John Saxon, arrest. Uh, rod despite his pleas of innocence and they make um nancy go to fucking school the next day it's like the the day the next fucking day <laughs> like didn't your best friend just get murdered in her house like what the fuck um <laughs> so uh at school nancy falls asleep in class and dreams that the man chases her to the boiler room where she is cornered and you find out later where the boiler room comes from um cool imagery honestly um so chases her to the boiler room where she is cornered she then deliberately burns her arm on a pipe to like wake up you know because she's trying to wake up she's like get out of here get out of here guys and then like any like the things that hurt her in the dream uh, apparently hurt her in the real world um so the burn startles her awake in class and she notices a burn mark on her arm Nancy visits Rod at, uh, oh, and I got to tell you, the teacher here, the teacher is Robert Shea's sister, and she is in, like, every single Elm Street and then multiple horror franchises past this. I think she plays in The Conjuring, or was that Insidious? I think she plays in in Insidious uh, films, kind of, like, as a, a poltergeist kind of uh, character, you know, the got to talk to the spirits kind of thing. She's kind of like one of those ladies, Um, but she's also in um, Elm Street series as well. And so uh, I think playing different characters. Uh, So let me see. Nancy visits Rod at the police station who describes Tina's death along with her own recent nightmares about the same man stalking her and her in her dreams, making Nancy believe that the man killed Tina. At home, Nancy falls asleep in the bathtub and is nearly drowned by the man. Okay, so talk about iconography of the majority of the first couple slashers that we've talked about, Halloween and Friday 13th. Um, the glove in itself, the, the whole Freddy character, the costume, the, from the deformed, uh, messed up, burned face to the fedora hat to that weird uh, Mr. Rogers looking um, sweater um, to the glove. There's just multiple things that uh, to his voice. There's just multiple aspects of the character that just pop. And the glove is another thing coming out of the tub, you know, between the legs of, uh, of, uh, Langkamp, uh, Heather Langkamp and 
or Nancy. And it is just like, and she's like sleeping there. She's got like the glove coming up between her legs. And she's like, oh my God. grabs you by the nuts or something. Obviously, she's a lady, so grabs you by the ass or something like that. But pulls her under the water. And so the editing is, is, is really good here because it pulls her underwater to the point where it's like, how is she being pulled all the way under in the tub? Well, she's not in a tub. She's being pulled underwater into like a dream world, a dream pool almost. And she's just drowning, going further down and whatnot. And so that's the, the cool thing about, uh, the, the dream world that happens in Elm street is just because you're looking at the iconic, uh, uh, Nancy Thompson house, or we're looking at the iconic Elm Street, it doesn't mean it's always going to be the Elm Street. Or, you know, they might use miniatures or they might use different uh, types of uh, practical effects to kind of change the reality they are in. And that, like I said, is a reason why Elm Street goes above and beyond the average slasher. Um, From the actual slasher Freddy to the world that he brings to it as well. So I'm anxious to see for Friday the 13th um, if they're going to kind of change how the world works as well, um, you know, warp it a little bit more. I am kind of seeing that the more Friday the 13th I watch, the more I can see how they're influenced more about by the Elm Street um, franchise as well. It's kind of like they're like in, they're like, oh, Freddie's doing this, so we need to do some of that. Oh, Jason's doing this, so we need to do some of that. And so on and so forth. Okay, so... um, Okay, so Nancy visits Rod at the PlayStation. Um, So at home, uh, yada, yada, yada. At home, Nancy falls asleep in the bathtub and is nearly drowned by the man. Freddie then depends on caffeine to stay awake and invites Glenn over to watch her as she sleeps, which is, uh, it's like, what the hell? Um, one job, Glenn, one job. Nancy sees the man prepared to kill Rod in his cell, but then he turns his attention towards her. Nancy runs away. This is in the dream and wakes up when her alarm clock goes off. <clears throat> the man kills Rod slowly by wrapping this sheet around his neck and rod is uh basically made to look like and he's in the jail so at this point um alone and apparently there's no cameras um but you know he he's pulled and he's hung on his uh bed sheets making it look like a suicide um you know he couldn't handle himself because he killed his girlfriend so that kind of thing um, but it was actually Freddy. So, uh, yeah, the man kills, Freddy kills Rod by wrapping bed sheets around his neck, staging it as a suicide through hanging. At Rod's funeral, Nancy's parents become worried when she describes her dreams. Her mother, Marge, um, takes her to a sleep order, sorry, sleep disorders clinic where in a dream, Nancy grabs the man's fedora with the name Freddy Krueger written in it and pulls it out into the real world, which this is really cool how she's 
the things that are happening in the dream, obviously the pain that she's feeling in the dreams are, are happening in real world. But now she's able to like take things from the dream world, waking up with the fedora hat. She's like, look at it, look at it. And, uh, you know, wouldn't your, wouldn't you want your mom to tell you if y'all went, they did something crazy to this guy named Freddie and now you're being haunted by him kind of thing. Um, so after barricading the house, Marge explains that Kruger was an insane child murderer who killed 20 children but was released on a technicality and then burned alive by the victims of the parents living on their street seeking vigilante justice um yeah i could probably see that back in the 50s and all that happening you know um that doesn't sound crazy for the 1950s it almost doesn't sound crazy now i, I swear just like people these days um but yeah wouldn't that have been nice to know like um in the first act marge thanks marge um but from that she just starts like drinking heavily just sedating herself marge the mom and she's just like fuck this fuck this and the dad is just uh you know he's just he's just uh not not feeling it um so Nancy realizes that Kruger, now a vengeful ghost, is killing her and her friends out of revenge uh, and to uh, satate his psychopathic needs. Um, Nancy tries to call, oh, and by the way, Freddie was killed or burned or whatever by the parents in the boiler room. So that's why we're always saying a boiler room. Um, Nancy tries to call Glenn to warn him, um, but his father prevents her from speaking to him. Glenn, this is Johnny Depp. This is the iconic death, uh, another iconic death. Glenn falls asleep and is killed by Kruger. Um, so this is just kind of yada yada, but literally, what's it? Johnny Depp sitting there in his 1980s crop top, just sitting there watching the game i guess i don't remember exactly or watching the uh supermodels i think he said and he's like i don't need to listen i just need to watch and <laughs> so we're like okay um so anyways he gets the uh he gets he, he probably wanks one off or let's be honest he probably wanks one off and then he falls asleep and as he's falling asleep he's falling in bed like whoop and he's like sucked into his bed it's this amazing practical effect of just pulling someone through a bed and when he's pulled all the way through i think i think a light comes out or something like that but then all of a sudden this bust just big ass bust of um blood is shot into the air and all over the room again i mean every time someone gets uh, stabbed or something like that or or got or they get got normally there's blood everywhere they were they they get blood for days um but anyways they um uh they they it looks like they blended johnny depp in a blender and then chucked them all over the room it is fucking crazy i mean there's no like organs and bones and all that it's just literally just like buckets of blood going to, straight to the ceiling and it's like oh my god <laughs> everyone's freaking the fuck out and um 
the cops see it. There's people like heaving. They're like, Bleh! like yakking everywhere. Um, like it, it, it is one of the most memorable scenes in a horror film that I've watched in the past. Uh, I don't know, like three months out of all the movies I've watched the ring, the insidious, the, 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 uh, all these horror films, Friday the 13th, all of them. This was one of the most, uh, one of the goriest, but also most like ridiculous uh, deaths that I've ever seen. Um, so, um, yeah, Nancy tries to warn Glenn and she's like banging. She gets like nailed, she gets like Harry Potter barri barricaded in her room with uh, these like bars so that she can't escape. <laughs> it's like really dangerous. Um, and so you see her like banging on the door, like help, help, help. She's like trying to warn Glenn and then she sees Glenn basically get, get got. Um, and she can't leave her house and now she's stuck in the house. Um, so now alone, Nancy puts Marge to sleep. Um, her mother's just taking a bunch of pills and drinking um, and asks Don, who is across the street to investigate Glenn's death to break into the house in and, and to break into the house um, in 20 minutes. Nancy rigs Bobby's, sorry, Nancy rigs booby traps uh, around the house and grabs Kruger out of the dream and into the world, real world. The booby traps affect Kruger enough that Nancy can light him on fire and lock him in the basement. And Nancy rushes to the door for help. Um, so it's kind of weird how uh, the, the, the the rules of Freddy um, don't exactly make sense. Now, if you go through the horror slasher tropes, um, this is the one. Freddy is the one that, you know, he has one of the most interesting lures. He has the, one of the most interesting worlds that he brings, the iconography. But I'd say the rule breaking of understanding how Freddy always uh, somehow comes back for the next movie um, is probably the number one rule breaker, I'd say, in the series franchises. Like sometimes it just feels like they, they, they take out Freddy and then he comes back with because uh, lightning struck his, uh, you know, his hat or something like that. Now he's back. You know, that that's not what happens, but I'm just saying that almost every time they try to take out Freddie or they might do it successfully, he comes back for some random reason. And I'm not always sure if the reasons um, really make sense, even though we're talking about magic at this point. Um, so yeah, she can set him on fire and then rush to the door for help. The police arrive to find that Kruger has escaped from the basement uh, like he's, he, you can't really like pin him down somewhere. It's like, you almost got to fight fire with fire somehow. So you throw fire on him, I guess. Um, Nancy and Don go upstairs to find a burning Kruger smothering Marge in her bedroom. And it is intense. It's like, Oh shit. It's like he got up to, uh, he got in Marge's room and he's basically killing the mother at this point. And you're like, Oh no, fuck. And this is, um, I'm trying to think. I think this is the first movie of the slashers we've talked about that really focus on like the parents as well. So after Don extinguishes the fire, Kruger and Marge vanish into the bed. It's, I mean, literally they become compressed into one as some sort of like a uh, skeleton thing. And then it's just like, 
and then it's just like lowered into the bed with this fog coming out and stuff like that. It, the practical effects are amazing in this. Um, but it's like, what the fuck just happened? I was like, I can't believe he just did that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so Don leaves. Kruger rises from the bed behind Nancy, realizing that Kruger is powered by his victim's fear. She calmly turns her back to him. Kruger evaporates when he attempts to lunge at her. So he's, she's not scared of him anymore, um, which is a lot. It's a big take about uh, a lot of horror. I feel like is the way to defeat the big horror thing is not to be scared of it. Um, Nancy steps outside into a bright and foggy morning where all of her friends and her mother are still alive. Nancy gets into Glenn's convertible to go to school when the top suddenly comes down, locks them in as the car drives uncontrollably down the street. Three girls in white dresses playing jump rope are heard chanting Kruger's nursery rhyme. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, but a lack, yo, do, which doesn't even make sense because he can just pop up anywhere. Five, six, get a candle, sticks, or something. I don't know. I don't remember after that. But anyways, it doesn't even make sense locking the door. He doesn't ever, he never uses the front door. He's always in the house. Um, so the nursery rhyme doesn't make sense already. So they're chanting Kruger's nursery rhyme as Marge is grabbed by Kruger through the front door and just yanked back inside. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the end of A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. Let me know what you thought about the podcast. Let me know what you thought about the movie. Assuming you've watched it by now, it's a, it's a classic. It's not even a cult classic because a lot of people like this stuff. Um, I thought that uh, this was, like I said, one of my favorite slasher films, um, campy slasher films that I've watched in the last few weeks. And it's clear how uh, uh, horror and television horror um, think of like Stranger Things or something like that. Even Robert uh, England makes a little guest appearance in that. Um, how they are influenced by these, um, you, know, you know, these um, stories and these effects and the way that storytelling is told, and the tropes and everything in between. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Da, 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 da. I think that is about it. Uh, yeah, I think that is just about it. David B. Miller designed Kruger's disfigured face based on photographs of burn victims obtained from the UCLA Medical Center. Hmm. Uh, discuss a little bit of the development um, of here. A Nightmare on Elm Street contains many biographical elements from the director West Craven's childhood. Hmm. Um, I think the movies he was famous for before this were um, uh, The Last House on the Left, very much, a, I think that was a slasher, kind of oppressive horror film. And then they've done a remix or a remake of that since then. And they've also, um, he made Scream as well. He's, he's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. He's made uh, a lot, a lot of uh, formative uh, horror films. Um, 
the basis of the film was inspired by news, uh, several newspaper articles uh, printed in the LA Times in the 1970s about uh, among uh, Hmong refugees who, after fleeing to the United States because of war and genocide and Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, suffered disturbing nightmares and refused to sleep. Some of the men died in their sleep soon after. Medical authorities called the phenomenon Asian death syndrome. The condition affected men between ages 19 and 57 and was believed to be uh, believed to be sudden death unexplained sorry sudden unexplained death syndrome um, or Brugada syndrome or both. Uh, Craven stated that it was a series of articles in the LA Times, three small articles about men from Southeast Asia who were among immigrant families had died in the middle of nightmares and the paper never correlated them, never said, hey, we've got another story like this. The 1970s pop song Dreamweaver by Gary Wright sealed uh, the story for Craven, giving him not only an artistic uh, setting to jump off from, but a synthesized synthesizer riff for the movie soundtrack. Craven has also stated that the, that he drew some inspiration from the film Eastern religions. I got to say, like I said, the iconography from um, from the look of it, the sound to the feel to the, uh, the sounds are, are amazing. Um, I love the, the synthesizer rift in, in this film. I don't know if it's continued uh, as strongly throughout the other films, um, but this first one is probably my favorite. I like the second one. Third one's pretty good, but I still think it's not as strong as the first. And then four or five um, kind of go down in quality for me after that. Um, so yeah, let me see if there's anything else. Um, the film's villain, Freddy Krueger, is drawn from Craven's early life. One night, a young Craven saw an elderly man walking on the side path outside the window of his home. The man stopped to glance and uh, glance at a startled Craven and walked off. This served as the inspiration for Kruger. Initially, Fred Kruger was in, uh, intended to be a child molester, but Craven eventually characterized him as a child murderer to avoid being accused of exploiting a spate of, of highly publicized child molestation cases that occurred in California around the time of the production of the film on Freddy's nature, and actually Friday the 13th, not really spoilers about it, but it's just kind of like of the same nature. They they kind of did the same thing. They did not want to have uh, Jason, at least uh, in the first few um, movies, to be, uh, to be known as uh, a, a child killer. Sorry, as a child molester, not a child killer. He's definitely a teenage killer. So, you know, we got that. Um, so yeah, on Freddie's nature, Craven states that in a sense, Freddie stands for the worst of parenthood and adulthood, the dirty old man, the nasty father and the adult who wants children to die rather than to help them prosper. He's the boogeyman and the worst fear of children, the adult that's out to get them. He's a very primal figure. It's sort of like Kronos devouring his children. That evil, just twisted, uh, 
perverted father figure that wants to destroy and is able to get them at their most vulnerable moment, which is when they're asleep. I do got to say that, um, you know, with regards of like uh, uh, the camp counselors that are killed and the gratuitous nu nudity uh, that generally happened in the 80s um, with regards of showing uh, young women topless of stuff like that and sometimes naked. A Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't think is gratuitous in that nature really at all. Um, in comparison, there's almost one scene in every Friday the 13th movie where the attractive young female has to get completely naked. I mean, it's talking full frontal. We're talking ass, titties, whatever, everything out. Everything is out. Um, and they're swimming in that crystal lake every time. I, I think that there's maybe only like a handful of scenes in Elm Street's franchise that kind of go in that direction, and they're not even that gratuitous. So, I and I think what was it the second or third Friday the 13th was made by a porn director, um, directed by a porn director at least. So, just to kind of give you an uh, the auteurs versus uh, you know, someone just fucking around with a slasher series. So, um just continuing on a little bit at the end, by Craven's account, his own adolescent experiences led him to name to the name Freddy Krueger. He had been bullied uh, at school by a child named Fred Krueger. <laughs> so he really named uh, his bully this, uh, named Fred Krueger after the bully. Or, yeah, yeah. Craven had done the same thing in this film, The Last House on the Left in 1972, where the villain's name was sh uh, shortened to Krug. <laughs> he really didn't like this guy. Um, uh, Craven chose to make Kruger's sweater red and green after reading an article in 1982, Scientific American, that said two colors were, were the most clashing colors to the human retina. Uh, what's it? Craven's stove, so, sorry, Craven strove to make uh, Kruger different from all, from other horror films, uh, horror film villains of the era. A lot of the killers were wearing masks, Leatherface, Michael Myers, Jason. He recalled in 2014, I wanted my villain to have a mask, but but be able to talk and taunt and threaten. So I thought of him being burned and scarred. He also felt the killer should use something other than a knife because it was too common, like I said. So I thought, how about give a glove with state knives. <laughs> uh, I gave the idea to our special effects guy, Jim Doyle. Ultimately, two models of the glove were built. The hero uh, glove that was only used whenever anything needed to be cut and the stunt glove that was less likely to cause injury. For uh, a time, Craven had considered uh, a sickle as his weapon uh, for the killer, but around the third or fourth drafts of the script, the iconic glove had become his final final choice. Uh, a, uh, a sickle is like a, a hook thing, kind of like a, like a, like a, like a, like a hook. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting back, uh, background information on this. Um, I could go on it for probably another hour, but, uh, yeah, let me see if there's anything that I can. Oh, The Hills Have Eyes was the other film that Wes Craven had uh, directed as well. I haven't seen that, but I kind of want to after seeing all these craziness. 
Um, let's go through some trivia real quick and then we'll figure it out and then we'll uh, hop out. Um, so yeah, we talked about how this was the house that Freddie built. I mean, they, they made millions and millions of dollars off of, uh, fried, uh, a nightmare on Elm street. Um, Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time of the shooting is credited for creating Freddie's nursery rhyme. Um, Heather Langenkamp beat over 200 actresses for the role of Nancy Thompson, including Jennifer Grey, Demi Moore, Courtney Cox, Tracy Gold, and Claudia Wells. Um, the scene where Freddie's arms elongate were achieved by having men with fishing poles on each side of the alley operating a set of puppet arms attached to Robert England. Um, uh, all the boiler room footage was in the film was shot in the basement of the Lincoln Heights jail in Los Angeles, which was condemned shortly after the production wrapped due to high levels of asbestos. <laughs> which is, um, yeah, one of the main reasons Johnny Depp was chosen was because Wes Craven's daughter thought he was dreamy. Ironically, that's kind of a good way to describe people in this um let me see if there's anything else filming began on june 11th 84 and ended on uh july 13th 84 after one month four weeks and 32 days of filming that is such a short time to film <laughs> oh my god um that's incredible da, 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 da. Wes Craven's original concept for Freddy Krueger was considerably more gruesome, with teeth showing through the flesh over the jaw, pus running through from the sores, and a part of the skull showing through the head. Makeup artist David B. Miller argued that an actor couldn't convincingly, convincingly made up that way, and a puppet would have to would be hard to film and wouldn't blend with live actors. So the ideas were eventually abandoned. It's amazing how much a movie is crafted by the the what you can do and what you can't do and what looks good and what doesn't look good. Um, yeah, the film debut of Johnny Depp and uh, let's see. Robert England was not the first choice for the role of Freddy, Fred Krueger. Um, Craven had initially wanted a stuntman to play the part, but a, upon testing several stuntmen, he realized he needed an actor. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting because I've heard that multiple people have tried to play Freddy and they always go back to Robert England. I also thought the... Uh, the I think it was Tina that shows up in like a body bag with all the blood in it and stuff like that. It's it's creepy imagery. And the hall pass girl, uh, she's like, you need your hall pass. Such your ass up. <laughs> uh, goodness. So um, I think that is about it. Let's see. 
Interesting. Nancy's house has a blue door in this movie and all other sequels. It has the iconic red door. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Why, why would they change that? All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening, watching Look It Out podcast. Um, oh, one more, one more, one more fact. Charlie Sheen, John Cusack, Brad Pitt, Kiefer Sutherland, Nick Cage, and C. Thomas Howe were considered for the role of Glenn, which ultimately went to Johnny Depp. That's kind of a crazy mix-up. Um, and a lot of people know that uh, Kevin Bacon was, I think, one of his first roles, if, if not his first role, was in uh, Friday the 13th, the first movie as well. So we kind of have two big actors getting their starts and, um, you know, two major movies, uh, franchises, horror franchises. So... All right, everyone. So um, you know what to do. Thumbs up, subscribe. Let me know how, what you thought about the podcast and what we should uh, cover next. Throw that in the comments at Look It All Podcast. Take it easy. Prime time, bitch. <laughs> Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street.